Turn with me to uh, John uh, chapter 5. And we continue in our series and looking at, uh, we've looked at the first uh, several chapters of John. And uh, we are mighty in his power, John chapter 5. We're going to look at a second priority. Each week now we're looking at a different, there's three priorities. And today is the second one. We uh, have one more next week, which we'll be looking at. Quick review, our first priority as we look into this new year is evangelism and that we understand how important it is to share Jesus. Can you say that word with me? Evangelism. Okay, one more time. Evangelism. I want you to get comfortable with that word, not be afraid of it. It's kind of a Christian word we, we use and it's often misunderstood. but last week we talked about how very important this is. If you did not hear the message I want to encourage you to get the CD or go online and uh, download the message because we know that the church at large, not, we're not talking about our church, but the church across America in the Western world is very much in danger of uh, really going away. And we discussed that last week. And we know that the answer is you and I getting out there and sharing the story, our story, the message of Jesus and, and doing that. Otherwise, the church is going to dissolve away. And so we recognize that. And I think the second thing uh, that God's very clear about for you and I is maturity. I have this, this prayer that you and I, as believers, can mature, grow up, nail down what it means to be a believer in the Lord and to function accordingly. If there's anything that I look at, and I often, you know, obviously sin attacks the body of Christ. But one of the things I see many people struggling with is immaturity. And not just immaturity in the sense of, of being childlike, but immaturity in our decision making. Immaturity in how we process information. Uh, the, the, I believe God can help you and I to grow up and understand how it is that we can make good decisions process the Word of God in different issues in life. We have a lot of things that we are faced with right now, great challenges, great questions, and how we respond to them is critical. And I see that, and we're going to see in a moment the title of the message, do you want to change your life? Really, when you think about becoming a mature believer, that's one of the key questions is, do you want to change? I mean, are you okay the way you are right now? Is somehow, do you, do you look at your life and are you satisfied thinking, yeah, I'm great, there's really not much else I need to do other than live life. And, and I would imagine for many of us, I know in my life, there are some things I really want to see change. There's some things I, I want to grow in. There's some, some attitudes I'd like to see change. There's some ways of living life I could do better. And so I see that this is, part of this is a, a normal process of life, but some of, some of this is new. And perhaps knew that you would recognize that this is even important to you. John chapter 5 really lays out this amazing story that is easily misunderstood uh, because of the amazing, miraculous thing that takes. But you've got to realize that Jesus is at this point performing three very specific miracles for the purpose of declaring, I'm the Messiah. And he's coming out with these signs and wonders that are declaring who he is. You remember, we already looked at the first miracle. He was at that wedding and did this miraculous thing. He took three, uh, 30 gallons of uh, water and transformed it into wine. 
and really good wine. And so he did this amazing, miraculous thing that demonstrated, and we talked about that several weeks ago. The second miracle, which we really haven't addressed, takes place in chapter 4 when he heals a child that was dying. And this, this amazing, miraculous thing, it's quite, quite astounding. And now we're at this third miracle where he heals a man who's been paralyzed and unable to get well for over 38 years. And we're going to look at that story starting at verse 1, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pole, which is called in Hebrew Beth, uh, Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people and blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now I want you to see, everyone who is ill right now is along the outer perimeter of the worship temple. So they're kind of like in the hallways. Like they're not in the sanctuary, but they're out in the hallways. I want you to get that picture. Um, for an angel, verse 4, went down in a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time. He said to him, there it is, the question, do you want to be made well? Verse 7, the sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now let's start there because... There's a lot of information going on. We don't have time to get into all of it, but I want you to see just a couple things because what's taking place is Jesus is transforming this man's life who had identified himself and saw himself as someone with an infirmity. And if you had asked him, who are you, what, who are you? What are you about? His response would be, yeah, yeah, I'm, I've really been sick for a really long time. Let me tell you my 38-year journey of struggle and battle, and he'd be so identifying his affirmity with who and what he's about. There's something that Jesus is speaking to us to begin to understand. And here's one of the, the, the key kind of hidden, if you will, jewels in this. God created you and I to be something amazing. God created you into something that is absolutely astounding. And we often miss it because we get trapped in an unhealthy identity and how we see our lives based on our past, based on an infirmity, based upon a struggle. And all of a sudden, that becomes our identity rather than seeing ourselves as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Something is different in when you identify yourself and how you see yourself. And you can tell right away how it is when you ask someone, so who are you and what you're about? And usually what's the first thing, especially guys, you say, hey, so tell me about you. Who are you about? Well, here's what I do. Here's my job, right? And so they talk about their job. I work at the shipyard. I'm a military guy and whatever. I mean, how often do you hear someone say, well, um, I'm a believer in Jesus. That's the most important thing you could know about me. 
right? I mean, sometimes we hear that, but pretty rarely. Usually, that that we first talk about becomes our identifier. And what's happening right now is Jesus is transforming that identity. He's changing us because he wants you and I to see how amazing we really are. There once was a, a farmer who had found an eagle's uh, egg. Can you believe that? Pretty amazing, right? And uncovered this egg and thought that it would die unless it would be protected. So he took that egg and put it into, with his, uh, into the chickens and the nest there so the chickens would warm up the egg and that eventually that eaglet would hatch and it actually became part of the, uh, the chicken farm and hung out with the baby chickens and you know, actually apparently grew up with these chickens. And all his life, this eagle thought that he was a farm chicken. He did what farm chickens do. He clucked and he, he kind of made chicken noise and he, he occasionally flew with kind of a brief, uh, kind of the, the thrashing of his wings and occasionally there'd be a flurry of feathers, but never got higher than a few feet off the ground because chickens just don't fly much higher than that. After all, chickens, you know, they're not really supposed to hit the, the great skies and soars. And, you know, years passed, the, eagles grew old, the eagle grew older. And one day, one day though, this eagle who thought he was a chicken looked up and saw this magnificent bird far above him in the cloudless depth of the blue sky, gliding gracefully over the, the wind and, and the the little moments of heat in, in the air that just allowed him to float. And just, in, I mean, just you looked at that, it was absolutely amazing. What a beautiful bird, that eagle said to his neighbor. What is it? And the chicken next to him said, well, it's the chief of all birds, an eagle. And continued and said, but don't give it a second thought. You could never be like him. And so the eagle never gave it another thought. And he died thinking he was a farm chicken. How many of us live life like a chicken <laughs> instead of an eagle? I mean, what would you rather be? <laughs> a chicken? <laughs> or an eagle? That's majestic. I thought about making this a Seahawk, but <laughs> didn't work. A chicken or an eagle? I want you to hear this in John chapter 5. God created you to be an eagle. You are not created to be a chicken. God's called you to fly. But here's what happens. Our past, our failures, our sins, our wrongs, can and in fact do paralyze us in our present and into our future. The freedom that we experience through Jesus is absolutely amazing. I'm here to tell you what it personally means and what can happen in your life because your past cannot, unless you allow it, hold you down. Because what we're going to see is your sins are forgiven. Your failures and your wrongs, anything you can think of, God has made it clear, I will forgive you. And I will give you a new beginning. I would like to see us mature in that way. That is maturity. Understanding who God created us to be and then living that way. 
By definition, maturity is doing the will of the Father, living by the word of His Son, Jesus Christ, and allowing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, you, this is one of those things you take home, you look at, and you study. You take this statement and understand, you and I, if we're going to mature, we ask ourselves, what is your will? Am I living by the Word, which is the Bible, and am I allowing the work, the ministry, the presence of the Holy Spirit to be operative in my life? If you want to, the Scripture tells us very clearly in Ephesians, it tells us that in the unity of common faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we arrive at real maturity, the measure of development which is, which is meant by the fullness of Christ. Everything I just said in the last slide is summarized right here and validated in Ephesians here 4.13. Spiritual maturity, keep it simple, is being like Jesus Christ. So you think, I want to mature, what does that mean? Be like Christ. doesn't mean be Christ, be like Him. Learn to live as He's called us to live. And we begin to understand that unity, understanding, knowledge, becomes part of maturity. And the measurement of that development, the completion, that which takes place in us becomes mature. Because maturing is allowing something to become complete and whole in us. And here it is, Jesus becoming complete and whole in you. How does that happen? By living life, reading the Word, praying, being a part of a, of a, of a church family, a small group, uh, learning and growing, all of these things. So here it is. You cannot mature if you don't do any of these things. Just getting older is not maturing. Now, it is maturing by age. Some of you are mature, perhaps, because you're now older. You've lived life a little bit longer. But that's meaningless in terms of spiritual or emotional or intellectual maturity. These are things that only happen if you take time to allow them to transpire in your life. Well, I've had, I just had this conversation with someone who said, man, I, I want to do what you're doing someday. I said, yeah, you can do that. And he was, he was asking, the young guy, he was asking, so what might it take for that to happen? I said, well, you're going to need to go to school for probably about 10 years, and you're going to need to study and read and, and uh, train, and, and, and all this can happen, and absolutely no question that it can, the things that he would like to see happen can happen. He was so quiet. And he said, well, sounds like I'm going to have to make some changes in my life. I said, well, yeah, what do, what do you mean? He says, well, to start with, I think I'm going to have to start watching so much TV. I haven't read a book in years. I don't like to read. I said, well, in order for you to accomplish the academic part of your life, this, that's needed, you're going to have to learn to read and study. And he looked at me and said, but isn't there a way just to watch videos? <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, that would be a great new business to start. <laughs> because we're moving to a time where we're not reading like we used to. It's becoming a great challenge for people to study and, and all of a sudden that whole idea. Let me tell you, if you're going to mature in the Lord, the only way this is going to happen is, in part, there's a lot of things, right? Is you got to read this Word. So as much as I would like to hope and think, if you just hold it really close and tight to you, that somehow it'll become a part of you. All this looks is just weird. It, the only way you and I can truly see these things is for this to happen. Okay, look at with me in verse 1. Let's go through this. John 5, 1. After, there, 
After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to know, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, tells us that he was attending one of the top three feasts that took place at this time, where everyone went to Jerusalem. So here's the thing I want you to catch. Jesus is doing this miracle while everybody is around Jerusalem. So this is a significant part of it. There were, there were three major festivals or feasts. Uh, you had Passover, you had Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Those three things were attended by everybody. You've got to realize that a lot, of what Je- a lot of what happened in the Old Testament, there was probably a feast or festival almost every month. Can you see a minute of that? Growing up Jewish was great. We're talking party and more party and celebration and festival because here's what the word is. God's saying through all of this, I want you to gather together. It wasn't to have... Um, teasing with you about a party. It was the idea that over and over again, from Genesis to the end of Revelation, the word is very clear. Get together. Be together. Breathe the same air together. And I want you to know, nowhere does it say, do this through Facebook. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) There is no word or mention other than in Revelation, when it talks about the end of the world, uh, when it comes to Facebook. (laughs) I'm teasing. You just know how much I love Facebook, right? Facebook is a great tool, <laughs> but a dangerous tool. So Jesus is gathering as he comes to Jerusalem, verse 2, and it says, there, uh, And now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, uh, Bethsaida, having five porches. Now, I want you to see something here. So much information, but would you catch this? He's coming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of worship, number one with me? So he's coming to a place of worship. They're gathering. The whole point of the feast was to gather together and worship. Number two, they're coming to the sheep gate. Okay, there's a whole bunch of different gates you can go to. The sheep gate was the gate of sacrifice. And so they're coming to, and that's right by where this pool is, is by the place of sacrifice. This is where the sheep went through who are being led to the slaughter. Jesus is walking through the sheep gate to go talk to this guy. And he's meeting this man at a place that Beth, in the Hebrew, Beth Seda, which means house of grace. And so here he's coming to this, um, think about it, he's put it all together. He's coming to where the porches are, where the people who are on the fringes of worship, the center of Jerusalem. He's coming through the gate of sacrifice, coming to the house of grace. And what is he about to do? He's about to heal this guy of an infirmity and show and demonstrate what? Grace. Amazing grace. Great grace by this work that he's about to do. I want you to see, that's what God does. He's trying to help you and I see it's not the healing of the physical infirmity. It's the provision of God's grace that can come in anything in our life. This is a powerful visual that's taking place right now. It goes on and says, and, leaves, and there laid a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Oh, so much there. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Talk about living water. Can you see a of that? Well, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Do you and I see there a battlefield? I see a picture of struggle. So here's a bunch of people who, aren't, who are obviously ill, injured, sick. Something's going on. 
and they figure it out once a year, I might win the lottery. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of what it's like right now? There they are, a whole bunch of people, and they're about to push and shove. And then this guy, this guy's got to literally crawl into this water, hopefully to get there before anyone else does. And he's saying for the last 38 years, I haven't been able to get in before anybody else. I mean, how many of you are hopeful for the uh, Powerball, right? $1.3 billion? Wow. If you do win, don't forget your 10%. <laughs> What a waste of money. You know, they did a, they did a uh, little news piece, just a little side of all those who uh, have won the, the lottery in the last 10 years or so, and every one of them are in tragic places right now. Uh, murdered, sick or ill, in rehab, and within four years, all of them have lost all their money. But I know you'd be different. <laughs> and that's what they all said, too. So here this guy is hoping to win Powerball, thinking I might get in first, somehow I might win this lottery. And I've often thought how tragic that that system would set up, but it's trying to teach something here. Before you condemn it, realize that there's something here that is about to create this amazing contrast that the Word of God wants to understand. Because on the one hand, I, I'm like you, the idea of having to you know, struggle and battle and hopefully just jump into that pool first, what a terrible scene that would have been. But then every one of them had the same opportunity that this guy was given because the message that Jesus was providing would be a message for every one of them. Rise up and walk. If you just would acknowledge and recognize who is standing in front of you. See, the Word tells us that so many of us are stuck in our infirmity, stuck in that identity because we don't see how Jesus could come and stand in front of us and say, it's over, rise up and walk. Because then we think, well, wait a second, that's just not that easy. I mean, what do you mean, rise up and walk? You don't understand, I've been living this way for 38 years. My life's identity is being you know, in this infirmity. This guy was a beggar. I almost see what's taking place at this moment, that he really is not seeing what Jesus offers. And here's what God's offering him. He's offering him, in the next slide, healing holiness and wholeness. He's providing this amazing gift of grace so that we can experience God's healing, so we can experience holiness. And understand that, holiness, being set apart to live life with Jesus, and wholeness, that's maturity, completeness in, in God. The whole idea, if you were to look up the definition of maturity, is to be complete and whole. I mean, what a powerful statement. Give me the next slide. So he comes up with this amazing question. He says to the guy, okay, you've been sitting here for 38, laying around here, because this guy's paralyzed, obviously, can't walk. He's been here for 38 years. He says, so do you want to get well? Now, if you've been lying around for 38 years, hoping to get into the water, and this rabbi comes up and says, hey, you want to get well, what would you say? Well, yes, of course, help me. Instead, what does he say? Well, sir... There's no one here to help me. I've been struggling, trying to get in. And the fact is, that's the only reason I'm not well, is because there's no one here to help me. I mean, can you hear the whine in his voice? I can picture him kind of holding out his hand. Oh, you don't understand. My, my life has been miserable. 
oh God, please, would you mind giving me a few dollars? No, I'm, these guys begging right now. He so identified with who and what is going on with him, this was a form of begging. He was trying to give a story out that says, you understand how bad this is. And it's not my fault. It's everyone else's fault. No one's here to help me. No one's here to do anything. You know, no doesn't say, well, I've been talking to God for 38 years. I've been seeking the Lord for 38 years. I've been understanding, and it appears that God's will for me is to stay here for 38 years. Let me tell you something. If he was living that way, he wouldn't have been by that pool. He would have been living life a whole lot differently. The very evidence of where he is tells us that he is someone who doesn't understand what it means to live life according to the will of God. And so here he comes with an amazing question. You know, and Jesus is basically saying, listen, here I am. I can do something amazing for you. I can bring about this amazing transformation because he's saying, all you got to do, it's really simple. Admit, your, admit that you have a need for God and then receive his grace and the miracle of his salvation. And the result will be healing, transformation, change. See, this is the hard part for us is that God says, I can do something in your life. Your life can change, but you're going to have to do something. You just can't sit here and hope someone else is going to do it for you. How often do we live waiting for someone to spoon feed us and do it for us? It is so sad to see what's going on here. I mean, Jesus saw him lying there. Verse 6, he knew he had already been in that condition for a long time. Do you want to get well? Yes, no, or here's my excuse. Basically, it was all excuse. It was immaturity. I was watching um, the football game yesterday. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals versus uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I just actually, I don't normally watch... Uh, a lot of football. I enjoy it. I mean, I coach football. I love football. I mean, I look forward to occasionally catching a game, and I got the last, like, five minutes of the game. Apparently, I got the best five minutes, if you want to look at the drama. And the game was actually, and this is a playoff game, I guess, and uh, 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 they lost the game. Um, uh, who lost? Uh, Cincinnati? Was it the Bengals? Yeah, they lost. They lost in the last uh, couple minutes because I'm going to call it what it is, immaturity. So what happened? Number 24 uh, took a headshot and received a foul. as a 15-yard personal foul that moved the ball forward. And, of course, obviously, it was one-point difference and moved him into the field goal range, or closer to field goal range. And, of course, they're all upset about it. I mean, the guy was trying to argue. This is a professional player who makes millions of dollars, who knew exactly what is he doing. He took a headshot of the guy, and literally the guy had to be almost, I mean, he walked out with help. I mean, that was really scary, what happened. So he got a foul, rightfully. That was the right call. So what does he do? Throws a tantrum. That's what we want to see a professional football player do, is throw a tantrum. He got mad, and I guess pushed one of the refs and kind of got in his face. So he got a second personal foul. And the coach apparently got involved as well. And next thing you know is another 15 yards. And now they're only about 33 yards off the field goal. And guess what? 33 yards for a professional field goal kicker is almost a done deal. 
And there the ball flew, and guess what? In the last, like, literally 18 seconds, the game was won. And there's a picture of the guy sobbing and crying. Hopefully, I, I would imagine realizing they just lost the game because of his actions. That is the kind of immaturity that can literally, and I just thought, what, this is the kind of stuff that teaches us. Because that was a moment that was absolutely ridiculous. The game might have had a different outcome had he responded. And I love the response to, they were interviewing uh, the winning team's quarterback, and they, so they asked him about it, and all he said was, well, it really was an emotional game. That's code for an immature game. Yeah, it was emotional. It was dramatic. I mean, but that's the kind of stuff when you and I lack self-control, when you and I, you know, allow our passion, and, and I, I get it. Everyone wants to win, and I understand how vitally important it is to life that someone wins a football game. I mean, that's going to change life. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that actually renews you and restores you. And, wow, how big is that? That you would then literally take someone's head out providing a concussion that could change his life and not be held accountable to that. And then to go ahead and be account, and then to somehow carry that on to the next step and how ridiculous that is. And all we would call that was an emotional game. Too often, we don't call things the way they are. And if we're going to mature, it's time that we see things the way they are. I want you to understand, the question is, do we really want to get well? Do we really want to grow up? I think that's a challenging question to many of us. Because the, it really does then mean you're going to do some things differently. It means that you're going to develop some disciplines. It means that you're going to actually participate. And there's no other way to do this. There's no other way to shortcut this process. Jesus says, look, I'm going to come to your place of need. I'm going to come up and be direct with you, just like he was with this guy. And I'm going to then walk with you. I'm going to, I'm going to take this journey with you so that you can experience this amazing transformation. But you have to make some decisions to be involved in it. Because look what happens. Jesus says to him, rise up and walk. Is that the end of the story? No, look what happens, because there's more going on. It says, obviously, they have the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to get it. This is a whole other thing about legalism. But the Jews, therefore, said to him, who, uh, who was cured, right? The guy was healed. It is the Sabbath. That's the big deal, right? I mean, how crazy. The guy walks up. He's been sick, paralyzed for 38 layers. Why are they not throwing a party for him? Why are they not going, man, hallelujah, look at this. Who healed you? I want to know. I want to go talk to this guy. This is amazing. We want to get him to speak at our temple. This is exciting. We want to go to the Connections Cafe and celebrate. Instead, they get to this place of legalism. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. It's not okay for you to be okay. It's not okay for you to stop being paralyzed. So he answered them and said, well, he who made me well said to me, the guy's still doing it. Gee whiz. He's blaming someone else. Look what's going on. Who, you know, why are you doing this? Well, it's not my fault. He told me to take up on my bed and walk. And then they asked him, okay, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn 
a multitude being in that place. So what's happening? Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It was not yet Jesus' time to let everyone know who he was. So he's withdrawing, waiting for the right time that he would reveal everything, right? So he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. All right, now, next slide. So afterward, and this is what I want you to see, afterward, Jesus, Jesus found him. Repeat, Jesus found him. Why wasn't he looking for Jesus? I'll let you think about that. And found him in the temple. At least he was in the temple. And he said to him, see, you've been made well. Well, yeah. This is exciting. I'm well. I'm walking. And what does Jesus say? Man, give me five. Isn't this exciting? You have been made well. Oh, wow. Man, go live life. Enjoy it. Go live what, I mean, you spent 38 years, you know, paralyzed. Now go live life like you should have. What does he say? Sin no more. And then he qualifies. Least a worse thing come upon you. Now there's a lot of information there. He could have said a lot of things, but he gets to the heart of the issue. Let me tell you what the great miracle was. His sins were forgiven. Not that he could walk after 38 years, but that his sins were forgiven. Because the real issue was forgiveness of sin. The real issue was a heart issue, not a physical issue. And often we miss the same thing. We think it's something else. We blame somebody else. We blame a situation. We blame circumstances rather than getting to the heart issue. And the heart issue is us. Now, the man departed and told the Jews uh, that it was Jesus who had made him well. Great. Look it. This isn't the first time, and, and it really, Scripture answers itself in Matthew. Next slide. It tells us a similar situation. Here's all the religious leaders are looking at the situation. They're wondering what's going on. And this guy has been brought before Jesus who's paralyzed, another paralyzed guy. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. They, I mean, they, they, what they were thinking was, who does this guy think he is that he can forgive sin? Who is this guy thinking that he can heal on the Sabbath? Can, can I say something about healing on the Sabbath? Listen, in Exodus chapter 20, there is the, if you will, the rule of Sabbath. It says, keep the Sabbath holy, and you, you work six days a week, you take the seventh day off. Nowhere does it say anywhere in Scripture that you can't heal, that you can't walk, that you can't get better. Everything they were addressing was man-made rules. Here's what they did. They took the Ten Commandments and figured out, so what, what does it mean that we should keep the Sabbath? It's called the Gomorrah or the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, which is the written down rules and regulations that a bunch of rabbis throughout history got together and decided, this is what this means. The Gomorrah was the oral tradition. Let me tell you, I have a copy of the Mishnah. I have it electronically. I'll be glad to send it to you. 3,316 pages. Let me say that again. 3,316, about eight font. And most of it's in Hebrew. But don't let that bother you. You can get, you can get, a, you can get a translation. I read that thing once. Skimmed through most of it. Because it's indexed, so I can always go to anything I want. It is amazing what man will do to destroy God's grace. And that's all that's happening is that here's a, and then we miss out on God's grace. Now, 
I'm not saying that everything they wrote was bad because their intent was, we need to live life the right way. Are you with me on that? And it's so important because we so mess it up. I think we need 3,316 pages. Sometimes we need to be reminded of how to live life. But there's something here that is going on that has absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. And, and, and so Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So which is easier? Forgive, I'm going to forgive your sins or just get up and walk? So I'll prove that I, the Son of Man, have authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus turned the paralyzed man and said, stand up, take your mat, go home, because you are healed. Isn't it amazing how often Scripture connects healing and forgiveness? And once you see that often the pathway to experience healing is forgiveness. Now I'm not saying everyone who is ill or sick needs to be forgiven of sin, but there are times when we recognize, especially when it comes to emotional injuries, when it comes to some of the spiritual injuries, relational injuries, a lot of times we, I mean, how often can we go back and recognize that what's really happening, and I've seen this so many times, is that it's the result of having lived life poorly and not dealing with it. And the stress and the anxiousness and all the poisons that get into our system lie there and then pollute our system. And then we go running all over the place trying to get well when the first place we ought to be going to is Jesus. Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is the one who restores your life. He's the one who transforms you. The message of maturity is turning to Jesus in all things. Can you say amen to that, church? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in your word we recognize a great miracle took place. And now, Lord God, you're causing us, you're asking us a question, every one of us here. Do we want to get well? Do we want to change? You're really asking us to examine our life, to take a good look at it. Lord, I am so hopeful and passionate about God's people maturing. And I pray, Lord, that you provide the strength necessary, the discipline that's needed. Because, Lord, it requires effort. I pray we become a people willing to put forth the effort, who are willing to say, okay, God, here I am. No excuses, but simply responding, yes, Lord, I really want to be like you. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Do you really want to be like Jesus? Do you want people to recognize Jesus in you? And if we're going to answer yes to that, then we need to be willing to do what's necessary. Are you willing? Are you willing to do the work necessary? Are you willing to let Jesus come in and heal you, forgive you, restore you? 
And then sin no more. Lord, I pray you'll help us to do that. I pray, Lord God, that you would do something in us that's so amazing, that's responsive to your word here. Lord, that you would help us become boy, mature believers. Is there an area in your life that you recognize you need maturity? Maybe you can see that. Would you just take a moment and ask God for some insight to that place where you need his maturity? recognize and see those places I ask right now that you would give us strength to step up to that so that Lord we can do what you've called us to do Lord our first priority is to get out there and to share the message of Jesus to share how you have changed our lives and even now Lord God we would ask for you to transform these places and Lord let it be that as we receive this, we live it, and then, Lord, and we can share it. For that, we thank you.